the shield brethren were scattered all about, but their closest branch was in Petraathen, an ancient crag fort in the mountains south of Krakow, just a few days' journey from here. Their instinct, the reverse of the Mongols, was to camp in the woods, and their scouts had spied this old monastery long since abandoned. To her it had the look of a pagan temple, reminding her of the subterranean Mithraeum, the hidden temple wherein her people had once held their arcane rites. This ruin, whatever its original purpose, had been converted into an impromptu chapter house, a sanctuary where these knights could wait and train while they reconnoitred the territory around the blood-soaked battlefield of Legnitsa and the great stinking tent city that Ongwe had built there. A horseman emerged from behind the graveyard wall, riding a big blue roan stallion. Kanan flinched at the sight of a Mongol-style bow, striped and jointed like the leg of an insect, held out in the man's hands. But this was no Mongol. His hair was brown, long and full, and below his sharp nose drooped a luxuriant mustache. He pivoted his mount and galloped along the curve of outbuildings, then pivoted again and rode back and forth through the grass. His apparently aimless movements made no sense until she understood that he was practicing archery. When his eye fell on something that looked like it might serve as a target, he loosed an arrow from the bow, sometimes galloping past, sometimes away, or jerking his horse up short and shooting from a standstill. She did not know these knights other than by reputation, but she saw the rider as one who had suffered under the power of the Mongols and had learned from them, adopting and adapting their weapons. Farther back in the clearing, visible through dispersing curtains of fog and over the tumbled walls of a refectory, a young man was striking at an upright log with a sword, repeating the same attack over and over again. Near him, two others sparred with carved wooden sticks, while another paced around them, sidestepping as necessary. To her left, in the green shade of a sapling oak, two men sat at a table assembled from half-rotted lumber sharing refreshment from battered brass cups. Both wore trim dark hair. One sported a dark beard and had black eyes to match. A kind of Saracen, she thought, his Syrian heritage apparent also in the cut of his clothes. The other, rounder of face and lively, flashed pale eyes as his nervous fingers fidgeted, and he whispered in short bursts as if laying out plans he knew the dark-eyed one would not approve. Nine that she could see then, a strong crew, but mostly young, and not the sorts of men usually found in close company. This was either good and expected, or very bad indeed. For in the land of skulls, this region that had been devastated by the passage of the Mongol hordes, desperation and evil intent often united the most diverse stragglers. Still, they seemed to be the ones she had been sent to find. Ordo militum vindicis intactae now claimed to be Christian, so hiding near a monastery would come naturally to them. There were stories, however, of how in older days the knights of Petraathen had practiced a cult of death, harboring strange ideas about the benefits accruing in the afterlife to warriors who went down bloody and swinging. These brethren then might also take comfort from sharing quarters with the heroic and blessed warrior dead. From where she squatted, she counted seven big granite crusader crosses in the monastery's overgrown graveyard, erected perhaps a century and a half before. Kanan picked at her teeth with a twig, then shifted on her knees, practicing quiet breath, quiet heart, 
confident in her stealth, contented to watch unobserved. Or so she told herself until she heard a flicking noise behind her head, a twang, a hiss, and something jerked her off her feet, slamming her head against a tree with a thunk that rang her skull like a bell. She reached around desperately and felt a smooth, long shaft. A broad-headed arrow had snagged the hood of her cloak and pinned it to the bowl of an aged birch. She struggled to yank herself free. Two years of running from Mongols had taught her that another arrow, better aimed, would soon fly, and she had best leave the garment behind and make a run for it. But a voice, like the voice of her mother, only far away and sad, spoke as if in her ear. First arrow, perfectly timed, perfectly aimed. Kanan understood immediately. She lowered her hand. The archer had accomplished precisely what he had intended.